Hello and welcome to All Remote Podcast. My name is Ilana. And my name is Anya. And we are your hosts. All Remote Podcast aims to give space for all remote advocates to share ideas and insights into the future of work. We believe the future of work should create equal opportunities for everyone, regardless of their location, gender, or any other category. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of All Remote Podcast. Uh, we decided to spice things up. So this time we have two wonderful guests. Here with me today is Sandra Thompson, uh, Emotional Intelligence Coach. Welcome, Sandra. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. And um, Rowena Hennigan, Remote Work Skills Educator. Hello. Welcome. Hi from Zaragoza in Spain. Beautiful. This is a this is a global one, but um, we I'm very much looking forward to this episode because today we're talking about emotional intelligence. Uh, but before we start with the topic, uh, Sandra, do you mind uh, giving us a little background? Sure. So. Crikey. Um, I used to work in marketing, then I turned to customer experience. And then I thought, you know, there's something going on here with emotion and its relevance to humanity. And so I started teaching a bit more about emotional intelligence and then found myself going on a Daniel Goleman course for a year and a half uh, and then became a coach. Uh, and then, of course, Rowena and I have started working together, but more on that in a moment. All right. Rowena, how about you? So I'm Rowena Hennigan, originally from Galway on the west coast of Ireland. In 2007, I started working remotely actually with a telecommunications company in the west of Ireland, known as Nortel now. Some people may know them as Avaya. And back then we started doing a little bit of remote work and I started to travel while, while I was working. And I got the bug. <laughs> so it made me realize that work is definitely not a place that if you have the correct setup, computer and everything, you can move around. So since then, I've lived in 13 countries. That's one three because of the Irish accent. And wow. lived and traveled to, hopefully it'll be 65 this year, COVID notwithstanding. So one of my passions is travel, moving around, and remote work facilitates that. So I've been fascinated for many years about how, what are the skills needed for effective and sustainable remote work. And I've focused my company, my consultancy, my lecturing, and my teaching uh, in the last three years fully on that and that's where Sandra and I have a lot in common because we're both industry academics we both worked in industry but we both lecture and teach at, at two different institutions uh, and so that gives us that flavor of practical <laughs> teaching and training with with an academic angle so that's where we definitely complement each other Beautiful. And the reason we, we have uh, two guests this, for this episode is that Rina and Sandra have been working on implementing emotional intelligence into a remote workspace. If I may uh, reword your, your official title, project title. But um, what's really interesting to me is when we were having a, a brief call prior to this recording, you two have never met before in person. So I'm really interested to, to learn the story about how you started, how you two connected, and how you came up with the project. It's the power of LinkedIn, you know. So I posted something up in April. Uh, at that point, I'd been invited to speak about emotional intelligence on quite a number of kind of company webinars. They had lots of staff that had been furloughed and they were bringing kind of guest speakers in. And so the post was a bit like, I'm doing this. Anyone want to 
you know, anyone want to do anything else? Anyone out there? And um, Marina, within like a nanosecond of me posting it, was like, hello, uh, I think there's something in this. I think we should have a little chat. And so later that day, we had a conversation, uh, a Zoom call, and talked about our similarities, what our passions were. And it kind of went from there. Yeah, definitely. And I think the whole atmosphere of COVID, uh, I'm sure some people listening will empathize or identify with this. Everything seemed to happen at a faster pace. So been working in remote work, consultancy, advocacy for a good few years beforehand, and it just accelerated. So that's the way it felt with Sandra, that the timing was right, but also that our work together took on a pace because we really felt that personal human-centered touches needed in remote work at the moment. And with the experience that many people were having from working from home, which is not remote work, it's remote work in a crisis, uh, that that looking at these emotions, the words of uh, empathy, resilience, constant learning and people's emotions around that as they try to just survive, many of them working from home, seem to come to the fore. So it made our connection and our work together so much more relevant, but we were also living it every day, learning as we were going along. Because what we find is that we're trying to practice what we preach. We've never met in person. So this project, this company, business venture we're putting together, we're, we've, we've got some clients who started working, but we're also trying to walk the talk by what we do day to day in terms of our collaboration, our use of intentional communications, all of that. That that's wonderful, and it's it's such a great story. I'm I'm amazed every time I, I hear uh, a story about two people or or more who started working together who have never met. It's it's crazy and it's beautiful, and it's something that uh, we should definitely discuss more and highlight more. But taking a step back, uh, we said we we're going to talk about emotional intelligence. So let's start right from the top. And Sandra, can you tell us a bit more about what is emotional intelligence? So it's such an interesting uh, set of words. So so there are so many definitions out there, but I'm going to pick the one um, that Dr. Daniel Goleman came up with in the late 90s. And it's basically, and it sounds really simple, it's basically to identify and understand and manage your emotions mm-hmm. so that you can build better relationships. And the way that it works is that if you are able to understand and recognize emotions in yourself, you are more likely to recognize emotions in others, or you are more likely to have the curiosity and the intelligent questions to ask other people from even the tone of voice. You don't even have to see someone's face from the tone of voice, from all of the signals that someone gives. And the reason why it's interesting is because a lot of people think it's just empathy, mm-hmm. um, and it's not, because in fact, um, empathy is one of 12 of the competencies that you need to master uh, with emotional intelligence. And the amazing thing too is that because our brain keeps changing and we can we can relearn things, and it's it's not a muscle, it's an organ, but we know that we can exercise it in a particular way. You can learn this stuff at any age. Mm-hmm. But people say, oh, you know, emotional intelligence, I'm too old for all that. And you're like, well, actually, because of neuroplasticity, you can turn it on its, on, on its head and you can learn it now. So it's about emotions, understanding them, and being able to manage how you show up as a consequence of that insight. All right. And how, how does it, so, so you 
mentioned that it, it's, you know, managing and learning and identifying own feelings. But what is emotional intelligence in, in a remote office or a remote space? How does that play out? So I think what's interesting is one of the key facets we know for remote work is that self-awareness and self-management mm -hmm. because we're on our own often. Now, yep. I'm recording this from a co-working space today, but there's actually no one in the office. and We're, we're not surrounded directly in presence by our colleagues, by our team. So we are the master often of our, of our own destiny in terms of turning up for work, logging on, all those things during a workday. And that self-awareness and self-management is something that's always been apparent in lots of remote work research, teleworking research, books that have been written. And if you look at the culture of these established remote companies, they talk about that awareness a lot and that self-management and fostering it and giving the autonomy in relation to that to their individual workers and trying to foster a culture that also harvests that and, and, and supports it. And that's where their parallels are in terms of sustainable and effective remote work. If we recognise that we need that self-awareness, self-management. We're also all human beings. Often we're working with personal home office, with especially during COVID, with poten potential distractions, potential uh, competing priorities. So they're the things that tapped in when myself and Sandra started discussing this she would give an example of one of the competencies and I would come back with saying, oh, there's a research article or there's a piece on this. And, and we started joining the dots. And the, the summary way, the key, the nugget is that self-awareness and that, that self-management, which ties into that, those emotions and the peace and emotional intelligence. Wonderful. Yeah, you have to master self-awareness before you can do any of the others, um, as Rowena has, has kind of described. And the others fall far more easily into place once you give yourself the permission um, to kind of feel into these emotions that you're feeling or actually decide to completely ignore them. Yeah. You can put them to one side if they don't serve you. It's, it's magical stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So to my understanding, the first step to, to being self-aware and implementing emotional intelligence in general into a workspace is to do some sort of assessment. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's I think is is the the starting point. So if we were to to for our listeners to to start working on emotional intelligence within their teams, what are the ways to assess it, and who is the person who, sh who should do this assessment? So there are a number of ways. There's a kind of sliding scale from a formal questionnaire that you would fill in, and and I think I'll, I'll provide you with some links to further insight on that, so people mm -hmm. can can dig a bit deeper. So everyone could actually undertake a, a questionnaire, or you can make it more informal. If you took the twelve competencies and you asked people to rate themselves, and then you had a number of colleagues who rated them, you get more of a kind of three sixty mm -hmm. view on not only self-perception but also perception of others with you and then you'll understand you know one of the competencies for example is positive outlook and I think that you can be quite descriptive in your own ability to have a positive outlook and others will have a perception of you so it could just be a conversation you know it could just be a meeting where you discuss the competencies people grade themselves other people kind of put a marker in there on where they think they are and it's really just to start the conversation about those 12 things uh, how comfortable people feel how competent they are and how they know how to build that particular skill too I think yeah. and then joining the dots over to the established 
tourist remote space. If we look at how the very successful established remote <laughs> first companies, the automatics, the GitLabs, the GitHubs, we see a commonality in their transparency and documentation. Um, which they publish quite openly. And we hear a lot about, if you speak to the various workers there, that they are very much empowered to write a lot. They have to document. And there's a little link there that if they're reflecting and writing on explaining a process, a procedure, or how they want to act in a team, like a communications charter, like a remote work policy, and these, these people we know are really into the detail. And that type of reflection in terms of how they're going to interact and how they're going to explain themselves, along with journaling mm -hmm. and self-reflection, is actually where you've got that almost assessment happening in some cases with these established remote workers, Anya. And also to, to, to tie into that with what Sandra said, the volume of one-to-ones and the the often the candid nature of those one-to-ones, the view of the full person, because work-life balance is really important, and the 360 view of someone's working environment, other pressures, often exists, in, as we know, again, in these remote work cultures. So it's really interesting to look at what's already happened in the literature in these uh, established organisations and realize that maybe it's happening informally anyways, organically as they've grown, because they've been much more intentional in everything. So they're already beginning to look at that. They're happy to take the full person yeah. with all the emotions and discuss it and be open about it. Yeah. So let me let me ask a follow-up question. So you mentioned well-established um, remote workspaces. And I know that exactly as you mentioned, a lot of them are documenting everything and, and sharing their knowledge and their experience um, to, to someone who maybe hasn't had the opportunity to, to go through it. But what happens with smaller teams? So if we have a startup of 10 people or, or even less, uh, when is it the right time or how can one team implement uh, emotional intelligence if, if they are so small and if they're just starting out? The first thing really is to have an awareness and an interest. Um, if, you, if, we think about, mm -hmm. if we think about relationships that we've got, the ones that we most likely gravitate to are the ones where someone pays attention, where someone listens, where someone asks you how you are even and takes an interest. So even simple mm -hmm. things like having time to know the human being as well as the work that needs to be done. That's one thing. And the second thing is noticing changes. So if someone's a little bit quieter, if someone isn't as active in Slack, for example, or the tone of their messaging is slightly different, mm -hmm. you're going to pick up on that. Even in a small team, you're going to notice that there are some changes and it's really asking those questions. How are you doing? And it's also the, the comfort, the degree of safety the individual feels to open up and describe the emotions that they're feeling, that they might not feel comfortable or actually they feel overjoyed or they feel overwhelmed. So giving that safe space and letting people say what they feel and responding and respecting that is tiny and at scale. It can happen anywhere to any type of organization. And do you think a manager or a, a CEO or, or a founder, if we're talking a small scale team, should be responsible to, for implementing this? 
That is such a great question. <laughs> so uh, my view, uh, and I'm not sure it's the widely held view, is that um, managers should be role models for these things. And there are lots of statistics that people join organizations and they leave their managers. And so I think that there are some naughty behaviors that managers sometimes display and their teams then think it's actually okay to behave in a similar type of way. So I think number one, um, the power often is with the leader. And if they demonstrate very, uh, well, no emotional intelligence skills, then it's going to be more difficult for people to nurture. But I would say that individuals are accountable for themselves. So I've worked with teams where the leader is the opposite to emotional intelligence, an example of quite a toxic environment, actually, that they created in their little uh, ecosystem. And yet they were fortunate to have within their team a couple of very emotionally intelligent people who had massive passion for the the organization. So I guess my point to you is leaders should because they should role model, Mm -hmm. but that isn't an excuse for individuals not to try their best to do it because actually they find better health, better happiness when they exercise those skills. Absolutely. I I agree with you. You Yay! <laughs> if, if somebody doesn't happy to to take that feedback, uh, let, yeah, let us know. Sure. Comment below. You know, you know how to say. Let's have a discussion yeah. about this. Wonderful. So, if we want to, so this seems, and I I know from from my my own experience and from my own reading that this is a vast thing to explore. It's not something that you can take a quiz on and then read an article and you're done. You're, you're emotionally intelligent, you're, you're right, and everything around you just makes a lot of sense all of a sudden. So it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. So for, and we know that startups and smaller companies often don't even have time to run their operations um, the, the way they, they want to because they are fast-paced, they're growing quickly. So what are the low-hanging fruits that any team, regardless of the size, can, can practice or can implement to kick this off? So Sandra's giving you a few examples there by introducing it into the conversation, slowly, really asking how you are, okay, to someone, but also building that time into calls, you know, so the social time at the start at the end of calls, leaders and team managers staying on calls to check in with people, the one-to-ones, maybe the dedicated virtual coffee chats where there are more no talk mm-hmm. of work. But also when you're listening, practicing that active listening, which is part of emotional intelligence to feed back so that the team know they're being heard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's some tips. But also in these high-performing teams and um, within the, uh, sometimes when it's agile-based, as you know, I mean, like there is that premise of feedback. Very few startups I've come across and, and high-performing teams that are scaling are with are with agile in terms of some sort of structure like that mm. where they have their sprints or their phases of projects and they have their feedback phase feedback is common amongst these teams and that's where there is the opportunity to bring in that emotional feedback as well maybe softly softly so there's some examples of what i see as low-hanging and, and we often talk about uh, or easy to access tips and tricks, but we often talk about feedback, don't we, Sandra, and how to give it. So maybe Sandra can add to that. Certainly. And and I think the thing that I tell my students and I tell my coaches is this, and it sounds so simple again, right? But the choice between reacting 
and responding. So you get an email, it's a little bit curt, or you sense that someone isn't very happy with something that you've done and you react. And you're reacting because of your socialization, your beliefs, your values, which is obviously what drives your emotion. But you have a choice in that moment to either react, and I have done this before, I confess, sending something really stroppy back to say, hmm, fine, right, great. But then what does that do? particularly in a remote environment, it creates more of an atmosphere. There's, then it escalates and it gets out of hand or it gets dissolved some other way by just jumping on a call and sorting it out. Or you can take a moment just to think about well, what's rising up. Well, it, perhaps this person is under a lot of pressure. Perhaps actually this person misunderstands what I'm saying. Perhaps they don't fully appreciate how they're coming across, which is that connection to feedback, isn't it? I'm sure it's not your intention to say such and such, but actually this is how it came across to me. So then they learn for next time and you've managed it in building the relationship rather than just reacting in a way that's going to cause some damage. So react and respond is one Active listening is so underrated. I mean, my goodness, listening, listening, and not only watching, watching the micro expression. So before we show our full facial expression, there's a second where the truth comes out. It's the unconscious thing. That's what humans do. If you can spot stuff like that, because you're paying attention to the screen, you're going to say, oh, I think I may have noticed that there's something happened just then. We talk about that. And I also think that the ongoing conversation around someone's whole life. We have no idea what's going on behind the work. And it comes back to Rowena's point around asking great questions or observing. They may have just mentioned something about an uncle or a relative. If you've listened properly and you then play it back, they'll be like, wow, this person really values me and really wants to take care. So I'm going to do the real best work I can. I'm going to have their back. They've got mine. It's quite phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. Rubina, did you want to add something? Uh, I was just I was just thinking about the technology actually, because Sandra and I jump and being in remote work skills, there's all this I mean, all that we're talking about, by the way, doesn't fall into technology. It's soft, it's called soft skills, power skills, transferable skills, lots of these role-playing to practice or think about how you might react to something falls within that category in terms of skills development but I'm thinking of the technology because Sandra made me think that we are so good at defaulting to video when we have if we've got a misunderstanding on slack if there's something we're not sure of on an email we'll jump on as quickly as we can and it often gets sorted out in five minutes by seeing each other and maybe then finding out if there's something else going on so there's that, but also isn't it interesting because thinking there about when we can screen share now, mm-hmm. we can look at how we can look at an exchange or practice an exchange in our teams and even screen sharing on, on a particular video conference. If we were talking through doing active feedback, how we could share that and how actually the chat would look in the team with everyone contributing and look at how they would do their text asyncs. So there's lots of joining together what we experience in the virtual world and looking at the positives of virtual and remote to actually live role play out those things. So rather than producing a document that says, this is how we will speak to each other, Mm -hmm. this is how we will do, 
do things. We can actually, in some sort of life changing sessions, and that's a bit of the plug for myself and Sandra, because that's what we're, we're doing in our training, is taking teams, facilitating teams, then in action doing that together mm-hmm. and looking at their exchanges live. Yes, that sounds great. But what, so they're, different teams and different team dynamics. So uh, we know that some people are more prone to to sharing their uh, feelings or sharing anything about themselves, you know, about their pets, about their children. Uh, and then there are some people who prefer not to share or overshare. Some call them oversharing. Uh, personally, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> but people have different uh, understanding of, of what or how they should act within a workspace. And since we are in a, in a remote environment, you cannot see and learn about the people. Um, if you, I don't know, if you, you come to their desk and see a picture with their kids, you instantly know that they have kids. It's a great conversation starter. But when you're not in, in a physical space, um, how do you bridge this gap between the people who are always open to share and truly answer the question, how are you comparing to those who, who are just don't think that it, it's relevant. It's just like, Hey, how are you? I need you to do something. How do you, how do you overcome the challenge? Quite often. Um, so I, I've dealt with this and I understand it. And I think it's sometimes to do with trust. And I believe it does actually happen over time because believe it or not, people actually do want to talk about emotions. They sometimes just don't know how to, and they just don't have the trust established to want to do it because something's happened in the past. So actually you change it into a conversation about the work. So you say something like, oh, I noticed that you did such and such over here. Tell me about that and leave it wide open for them to build on something that says a little bit more about themselves and the way that they work rather than just keeping it to the task and the completion of the task. Does that make sense? So you'd say, oh, I noticed that you added diddle dirt here. That's really interesting. Why might that be? So you would, again, take it slightly out as you take them on a gentle journey in in order to encourage them to do so. It could be that they perceive it's a waste of time um, to talk about that type of stuff. And I think that's quite common too. And I think by saying, I just want to spend a few minutes because I think that's okay, particularly a leader giving permission for people to do this stuff because they know that it has worth much further down the line. That is also a technique you could use to encourage people just to say a little bit more about their, how, they're, how they're doing. You might change some of the words, take out emotional, take out feeling, take out any of that stuff and just, you know, how was that for you? Why did you do that? Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's something that people can really uh, um, see in their teams and something they can really act on. So as much as I would love to discuss this and talk for hours, uh, it's a topic that I I truly enjoy. But um, I know you ladies have something uh, great coming up. Uh, So let me give you the space to share. If somebody wants to to learn more about emotional intelligence uh, or even implement or exercise, uh, where can they find the resources? So we have our own website at riseinei.com. So that can be in the show notes as well. And yeah, we've also, you can connect with either of us on LinkedIn. And through that, you'll also see at the top of our profiles there that we've got Rise Emotional Intelligence Company page. And what might be interesting is a lot of these topics, these introductory topics to EI and remote work, we've got a short video series that we're drip feeding, we're launching. 
which answers lots of the questions about active listening, gives some demos, and they'll be on that company page if people want to follow and, and have a look at those. And of course, through the website, they can reach out if they're interested in speaking to us about any training. We're finding that people are coming to us, clients are coming to us on culture, building culture in teams, onboarding teams, general emotional intelligence awareness. We also found some leaders as well are interested in what you said, what you already asked about how do they build and lead with emotional intelligence uh, in mind and demonstrating that to, to team, team members, through, members through their actions and their awareness. So we'll be happy to take any inquiries. All right. Well, uh, Sandra, Rubina, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, your thoughts. And uh, I look forward to coming up with maybe another format to, to <laughs> take this even further. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Anya. And that's it for this episode of All Remote Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening about emotional intelligence and found ways in which you can implement it for yourself or for your remote team. If you have a suggestion about who we should talk next, send us a message on Twitter. We are at all underscore remote. Have a great day and see you next week. Bye.